you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you doing? Oh, I'm jazzed. Jazzed? Like, just, like, I wouldn't say, like, jazzed, but I'm, I'm like, I'm with my best gal. I'm jazzed. It's a nice night. You know? It is a nice night. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been having one of the... Just one of them days. Uh, and, and nothing that I need to share. It's just been like one of those like, everything is a challenge. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And nothing again that's worth sharing. It's just that every, if if something's supposed to take you five minutes, it's going to take you 35. My air just kicked on. Did you hear it? I didn't. No, I can never oh, hear it from here. You know what? Let's just see what happens then because it gets hotter than hell when we record in here. So let's just yeah. see. We'll just do the first act and, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that like it's everything I've tried to do has just been hard. I ordered. Well, this is one I can share. I ordered these. I, I did a TikTok about this. I had a long to do list. And instead of doing yeah. anything on my to do list, I ordered four citrus trees, which just makes sense. Um, and so <laughs> I had they got delivered. And I need to pop them because they're little guys. I need to pop them. And uh, I ordered the right kind of soil uh, and whatnot. And I didn't order nearly enough of the soil. And so I went back to order more. And they're like, you've hit the max that you're allowed at your address of that soil. And I'm like, do they think I'm building a bomb? They do. I'm like, oh, my God. Now I'm on an NSA list. (laughs) And that won't do. I'm, I'm going to so have to turn this air off. I'm so sorry. It's so fucking loud. I can't do it. Let's just pause. Okay, that's so much better. Um, I love that I was like, this could be a revelation. If it doesn't, if you can't hear it on the recording, I can record in a cool, 
wonderful, you know, breezy environment. No, it's too loud. It's like a, it's, it's like this, my, my house has these planes. I'm on a flight path. It sounds like I'm, I have a plane over me. That's what I'm those so air units sound like. But this is another example. Today has been yeah. one of those days that it's just like everything is harder than mm-hmm. it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand that. But anyway, c'est la vie. <laughs> what you drinking over there? <laughs> oh, I, I just went basic with a water and a folk. Because I'm not tempting I, fate. I got a Diet I, Coke going. I can't. Not yeah. on today. Not today. Not on I one of them barely, days. I barely had enough. I was like up to the last minute working on something else and then had like the smallest amount of time that I was like, you know what? I had ordered some Lego for myself, specifically the brick heads. Do you remember those? You got me a bell. Brick heads. It's yes. like a little uh, rectangle. Very cute. Well, I had ordered ones for myself. And I just haven't had the time to put them all together. So it's been sitting in a box in my living room and it drives me crazy because I have to walk around it all the time. So I'm like, just just do it. And so I'm like, I've got some time. So I put it together. I put one of them together. I still have three more to put together. It's, I also thought, oh, I've got time. She's running late. I've got time. And I emptied the bags all over the table. There's Lego all over the place. And then it was like, I'm ready in five. I was like, Fuck. Just hurry up, finish it, change your clothes, and get in there, Oxborough. Look alive, Lady Jane. Yeah. Um, well, listen, we've got lots of things that, and here's what I love. Yeah. As I've talked about before on the show. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Um, yeah. But there are characters on this show, either stories that we have covered or people that we talk about on this show that become like characters. They're, they become. Dave Grohl is the, the example I often give because we start, you know, Christy started saying, ending episodes by saying goodnight, Dave Grohl. And then, you know, she would change it up sometimes based on the episode. But there's been so much that's happened in the past couple of weeks that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this. <laughs> First thing on the list, we have been tagged everywhere on the internet. Thank you, dear listeners. Uh, we got an Army Hammer update. Now, for those of you who don't know, I did an Army Hammer uh, I researched an Army Hammer episode of the show. If you haven't listened, give it a listen. It is shocking, if I may say so. It is truly shocking. Um, so what? It, now listen, I've I've I don't I've read everything that I could read about this update. I feel like it's uh, minimal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I just have a small amount of notes. I had had I assumed you did. I assumed very you did. small. Mm-hmm. Also. Uh, I say this lovingly. Fuck you to my husband. He clearly just made some popcorn and it's wafting down the hall. And it smells so good that I'm like, oh, my mouth is so wet. Look, it's it's a struggle. It's It's so wet. And I'd like a food that acts like a sponge to make it so dry. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So I'm I'm having problems. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you are a listener of the show, you you know I don't mean it in a oh know, no mean she's way, being playful she's being playful he will uh, he will chuckle when he hears it and then just be like oh <laughs> I've done something naughty I don't know why I said that I feel weird now moving on we're derailing <laughs> <laughs> just one of the them days the yep. energy that's coming into this I don't know what it is so what it is is my kids have been home for like. Almost three weeks. Oh, sure. 
Surely. Yep. I have to stop every 10 minutes because someone needs something. And it's always something you don't expect. Drink? Sure. You expect that. And then it's, hey, can you come help me with my bike? It's stuck. Like, how is your bike stuck? Oh, because he was riding circles in the backyard and got the net of a small mini net. He got the mesh of it attached to his wheel. So I had to like unroll this whole thing. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd kill for some popcorn right now as a treat. Not the point. Get it later. So a flyer got posted online that made claims that Army Hammer was a concierge at Moritz Resort in Grand Cayman. The hotel says Army is not on their staff and that the flyer was a prank. But a source told Variety, quote, he is working at the resort and selling timeshares. He is working at a cubicle. The reality is he's totally broke and is trying to fill the days and earn money to support his family. Kudos. Uh, prior to this, Army was managing an apartment complex in the Cayman Islands. After he was accused of sexual abuse and improper behavior by multiple women, Army was dropped by his talent agency and replaced in multiple projects. The last thing he did was Death on the Nile, which had finished filming before his scandal was made public. So Army didn't do any press for the film. And as of right now, he has no other projects lined up. So people have like dumped this man off. Um, but for those who are curious, and I'm, I'm sure it's no one, uh, the projects where Army was replaced include, uh, he was supposed to be in Billion Dollar Spy. They have not announced who his replacement will be yet. He was supposed to be in the Broadway play The Minutes. He was replaced by Noah Reed, who played Patrick on Schitt's Creek. Uh, he was replaced in the Paramount series The Offer. By Miles Teller. Right. And he was replaced in Shotgun Wedding by Josh Dumel. And we know who else is in Shotgun Wedding. Jennifer Lopez. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Who is another update, but we can talk Army before we get on to... To J-Lo. Oh, listen, I mean, uh, well, that was seamless. That was a seamless transition because we got to get into J-Lo because we just talked about it in the last episode. We did. We did. But, okay, because, very quickly about uh, the only thing. she played Selena in the movie. I know. And then we were talking about them. We were speculating about their wedding and then they got married. I mean, I don't know. That's amazing. Anyway, very quickly, I just want to say about, about Army Hammer. Um, yeah. We know he's broke. He was broke even when he was... You know, working steadily. That was, I covered that in the episode. We know he has a connection to the Caymans. I covered that in the episode too. We also, what I covered in the episode is that it appeared that he came from a long line of family money, but those family members of his were always lying about their money and actually deeply in debt. Um, The only thing I want to offer is that, yes, is it, of course, does it make sense that he would be doing something like selling timeshares, which, listen, I do not have any judgment about that job that is a job that exists and people buy timeshares people love their timeshares yeah. um of course people want to see him have a fall from grace because he is a 
horrific predator. And I don't feel bad about saying that. Uh, again, you can go back to listen to the episode. I'm not going to get into all of it, w- all the reasons why. Now, we don't have three hours to, t- to take out of this episode to do that. <laughs> but um, the one thing I will just offer again, though, is that I do just hesitate about shaming somebody, shaming an actor who has to do another job. Because, again, sure. um, we we have to, uh, as actors, sometimes do that, you know. And And, yes, once you get to a certain level as an actor, you obviously hope that you won't have to do something else for money. But, uh, you know, Jeffrey Owens came to mind, who was the actor from The Cosby Show, who people were making fun of online a few years ago because he was working at Trader Joe's. And the whole thing was like, I I just think that it's so gross to shame anybody who is working for money, who's, you know, going and and willing to work a job for money. Um, I just so, so not that I'm defending Army Hammer, believe me, I I never would. But I do just, you know, some people were just like, you know, what a loser and stuff like that. And I do think that that's a bit of a bit of a, it's a bit of a gray area for me in terms of, um, there's so many ways that we can make fun of him. I don't, you know what I mean? I just Thank don't think that, that that's... You're right. I don't know that that's one. But again, um, in terms of the jobs that we would see him go to, it makes sense to me that he would be a salesman. That just like, he does yeah. seem like he, he's the type, what have you. So there you go. It makes sense. And hey, I go. agree. Yeah. I agree. He's doing something legal for money. And it doesn't appear that it's hurting anybody, which is new for him. And if it comes out that it is then we will absolutely rip the shit out of him. Absolutely. Thank Don't you get that. me wrong. Yes. But yeah, I was surprised. To be honest with you, I was surprised. I was like, I'm shocked he isn't into something. And maybe he, he I mean, who knows what he could be doing that's illegal. There's no way to know. But yeah, I was surprised that he was doing something that was even above board. I truly thought his next move was just going to be straight to porn. Because <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense, right? I never say never. I just rewatched Boogie Nights last night. Just last night. Well, I'm going to say this. Hold on to your hat. I've never seen it. That's me dropping my my pen, dear listeners. <laughs> You've never seen Boogie Nights? I never did. I was oh. impressionable, so I wasn't certain things that came out in the 90s. Uh, were, it and I were not allowed to see each other. Look. We got to move on. I know this, but I will just say this. I watched. Okay. Okay. This just says so much about like who I was as a teen and who you were and how we've somehow flipped. When I was in high school, I rented it from like a blockbuster and I had kids over to show them Marky Mark's uh, fake Fake penis at the end. And I had to fast forward all the way through because I had already rewound the tape. And I was like, just wait, we don't need to watch the movie. I'll just get to the end. And then I, my VCR ate the tape. Since I was trying so desperately to show them this fake dong. Anyway. Thank um, you for dong. You're welcome. But you know what's interesting is that rewatching it last night, and I was kind of doing things, it was kind of just on, but I was like, this is a smart movie. <laughs> and it's just, it is, it is, because it's, it's, it, it, I think it does a really good job of showing. And you know what? It parallels Army Hammer. It's so brilliant that you bring it up in some ways. It shows like getting into a life. That's like yeah. you think is one thing and it's all glamour and and et cetera. And then just watching it for so many different people, because it follows so many different stories in that movie, just watching how it destroys so many different people all in different ways. Um, sure. 
good people that are like with good intentions, not bad, not bad people. Uh, that's a difference between, you know, him and this. But uh, anyway, that's so funny. Well, listen, I feel like we have to watch it at some point. Oh, yeah. Look, I think I just missed it um, in one of those like when the like really like 96 ish, 95, 96 ish, when like the mature movies started cranking out that got super popular. Yeah. I did not see them. Um, example, Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, that's a hard watch. I I assume. It's a hard I've watch. Seen, I've never uh, bothered to dip a toe Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, very well acted um, as a hard watch. Uh, and, yeah. and you know what? That's when I shone. That's when I dipped in harder to all those movies. I want to give a shout out to a movie called The Pillow Book. What movie was that? Oh, it was starring Ewan McGregor where he did Full Frontal and I scoured video stores for months until our local store got it, watched it, felt very uncomfortable inside, uh, and then returned it. Anyway, point being, uh, again, I maybe I just blanched out early. Who knows? Um, oh, but listen, always been an old soul. <laughs> thank you kindly. Uh Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Excuse me. Excuse me. Jennifer Affleck. I know. And look, oh I know that there's, God. I was so excited because someone shared, somebody went online because they registered their, their wedding, uh, re- their wedding license. It's, that's all public, right. pu- public record. Right. So you can see it on the Cook County or whatever it is website. And you can see yes. that she's changing her name. And I shared it like, just brimming. I was so excited. And then someone had messaged me. And if you're a listener of the show, hello, and this is not a criticism of you, but this uh, dear listener or or dear person was like, uh, I can't believe she's not keeping her own name, like from kind of from a feminism point of view. And I had sure. this moment where I went, oh, yeah, this is above that for me. <laughs> this is above. Normally, yeah. I would be like, yeah, keep your own name. You be you, lady. But oh, I don't know. 52, she's 52, 20 years later, they've reunited. It's happened. As you know, just in the last episode, I went on this thing about like, he better do it. I don't know that they're going to make it to the altar. He better not. Her as Jennifer Affleck, I'm going to say it. I could not be more jazzed. Oh, I I am aware that many of our dear listeners don't care about this. Yeah. But I'm also hyper aware that the two of us are so into it. The second they got back together, you could hear us <laughs> screaming from our own homes. Like we we were ready for it. It was like, it was what this world needed in that moment. And it, it was, it, it's all been leading up to this. It's all been leading up to this. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, I also want to say I did think that she was going to wear green. My prediction was mint yes. green. She didn't. She did two white dresses. She looked beautiful. She did. Um, I just couldn't be happier. I really, really, really hope that this is their full end game. I really want this to be it for them. You know? I I want that more than anything. And I know that it might be pushing it. I, I wouldn't hate to see a baby. She's 52. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay, Look, sure. Yeah. I, get, I get, I get the, uh, yeah, I get the age and I get that they have five, five kids between them. I believe so. Is that right? Uh, so I get that that's already a lot. I just, 
it's the only way I'll get to see a physical reenactment of their love without them putting out a tape. And listen, a tape. A tape. Well, we are in the Boogie Nights world, apparently. Um, <laughs> I guess so. Listen, I I uh, I love it. We have been following their reunion up to the second, the two of us. It is yeah. a con. I, I posted on our Instagram story, True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram, part of our conversation the day they got married. Because I was like, yeah. this is what our texts are about. It's either yeah. work or most of the time, Chelo and Ben. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we wanted this to happen so bad yes. for them. We just wanted them to find happiness. Yeah. Uh, I know I know he hasn't always, always made the right choices. No. Um, but we know he hit rock bottom with that back tattoo. <laughs> and I just was waiting for that moment he could find a woman who would love him through it. Yeah. And that woman was J-Lo. And I couldn't be happier. The two of them together are beautiful. She's beaming when she looks at him. And look. J-Lo has a J Jaff. I guess she's not J-Lo anymore. Who knows? The point is, she has like this fans only on the J-Lo is what it's called. Yes. You have to sign up for it. Did you? I did. Yeah, of course you did. Of course you so did. So that I could get email updates. Did you see, did you see this? Did you see the video of her from 20 years ago where she talked about taking his last name when they were dating? No. I'll find it and send to you. There's a video of her. Someone's filming her because yeah. they're. In, it's when she was engaged to him the first time. And they're like, right. are you going to take his, his last name? And she's like, yeah. She's always wanted this, which I find very interesting because she didn't take, I don't think she took... Mark. Any of the others, because she's been married. This is her third marriage, correct? Oh, or it could be her fourth. Charm. It could it could be her fourth, because there was Chris Judd, right? Was there was Mark. Name? Was that Mark Anthony? Yeah, but I think there okay. was a. I think there was a. I think there was one before that. Um. I mean, it's possible, but anyway, it doesn't matter. My point is, is that I feel like this is the first time. This is the fourth. Yes, I just had to okay. confirm it. Okay. Oyani, Noah, Chris Judd, Mark Anthony, Ben Affleck. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, good for her. I mean, also, one of the dresses she wore was apparently from an old movie, and her rips are refusing to say what movie. So there is speculation that it was the one that she wore on the poster for Jersey Girl, which I will remind you she made with Kevin Smith and... Ben Affleck. Yeah. And, and there was some cut stuff out he, of it, right? Yes. He cut the wedding scene out of it because they broke up. And then Kevin Smith was like, I felt weird about showing a wedding scene if they called off an engagement, et cetera. But it does look similar. But it's – she did call – she did refer to it in the on the J-Lo post about uh, it being from an old movie. So long story short, too late. Congratulations to yes. Jennifer and Ben Affleck. We are just two enthusiasts. <laughs> who are excited with with no, there's no reason. We're just excited. Yeah. And look, am I a little disappointed that I didn't get a an email that was like, you better be in Vegas by tomorrow. I would have been like booking an overnight. Oh, yeah. I would have been like, oh. book that flight. We, yeah, yeah we would have a been... very small wedding. I never would have been invited. But, for example, if you were to do a larger shindig, with tons of friends and family and 
unknown um, podcast supporters. Yeah. Then let me know. I will even like serve food if you ask. Like I'll I'll do a job if you want. I'll I'll stand in the bathroom and hold towels just to peek every once in a while when the door opens. Of like course. I'll do anything to be at that wedding. Even the second wedding. Like that's fine. Is there gonna be one? Probably not. They've talked about it. What have they? Yep. Okay. So stay tuned, dear listeners, because we're going to have another update, whether you would like it or not. And if you don't like it, skip ahead. There's a fast forward button. Um, last thing we got to hit real quick. You yeah. saw a movie recently that we talked about a lot on this show that I haven't seen yet. I did. I did. Um, I have officially seen Lightyear. Now, listen. I, yeah. I have lots of questions. I want to just let yes. you talk, but I do want to just preface this by saying um, there are there is a movement on the internet of yeah. people who find the cartoon very attractive. And I feel like that's is in line with, with you finding Buzz Lightyear uh, from before attractive. So I don't know where you weigh in on that, but I just put that out there. Well, okay. Oh, so many things. Okay. I am going to hit on that. Yep. First off, Lightyear has a 5.4 on IMDb. I know those numbers aren't always accurate. And I know that this, in this particular case, I am sure that it is internet trolls who have dragged the score down. But I'm going to say, what a lovely time. Hey, it was funny and sweet and heartfelt. There was the action, the adventure. Buzz has never looked better. (laughs) (laughs) There she is. Just so handsome. Like there were times where I forgot he was animated. That this is what people are talking about. That it's like, it's just, it's like, it's kind of like blowing people's minds. Yeah. He's, he's hot. I'll say it. Like he's like, I knew from the trailer I was, I was in trouble. Uh, And yeah, he's, 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 he's a specimen. I love it. I'm so it's happy just, for he's you. He's very handsome. Um, I wa- my husband and I watched it with our uh, two youngest. They loved it. It was a hit with everybody. Uh, so I'm going to say, I love that I felt the need to write this out so I wouldn't forget. Uh, I'm embarrassed for those who are avoiding it because it involves a, a same-sex couple uh, sharing a very brief kiss. I'm embarrassed for the Patricia Heatons of the world who are yeah. avoiding it because they believe that Tim Allen should have done the voice. Chris Evans did a fantastic job. The idea that Tim Allen based the toy version of Buzz on Chris's performance is a believable idea. Obviously, he didn't because the movies were several decades apart. But it's believable and Chris really pulls it off. Like he... The voice, the way he did that voice, you're like, oh, yeah, I can hear how Tim Allen would have got the Buzz Lightyear toy sound from that. So it makes sense to me. Uh, I know that Chris Evans doesn't listen to this podcast (laughs) yet. (laughs) Uh, But thank you to him for bringing Buzz to life. My family and I greatly enjoyed it. And thank you to the animators. For making Buzz the true dreamboat that I knew he could be. (laughs) 
What I love is like, there's like, again, when I talk about the characters on this show, Chris Evans has had a lot of airtime on this show. Like we spent yes. one episode just yes. talking about our favorite Chris Evans performances. And, you know, I think it's because of that. I just have to take a quick second and say an yeah. article. There was a there was he did an interview this week because he's also on tour uh, doing a press tour right now for the Gray Man, uh, yeah. which I could not Ooh. be more excited about. I with know, right? Ryan Gosling, Anna de Armas, uh, Chris Evans. What more do you need? What more do you need? Uh, my answer is nothing. Um, but anyway, he did an interview where he talked about how he's laser focused on finding like lifelong love. And I am not kidding you. And I know the people are going to be like, okay, my phone battery, the day that that hit died because I had mm -hmm. more messages from you, dear listeners, from people, uh, other people on the internet, from friends. I honestly think I must have set a record for the most messages, like people sending me messages just like, did you see this? Which is Christy and I's bit where we send each other something and goes, hey, did you see this? Um, which was hilarious. But I was just like, I love that literally my phone, the battery mm -hmm. died earlier than it normally does because I got so many people sending that to me, uh, mm -hmm. which I found amazing. Oh, I, I think it's great. Yeah. We just need that same group of people. To send it to him <laughs> to get you on his radar, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That that's it. That is that is something I did think. I was like, yes, I've I've seen this. Thank you so much, everybody. But I know about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great so call. Just, great call. You know, just forward my latest headshot and just you know give a brief synopsis of why you think I would be a good partner and I'm kidding I'm only half kidding anyway and again um, this does sit beside me <laughs> in the office it is a plush Buzz Lightyear that I purchased online for no reason other than look at that little face how fucking cute is that uh, I did cradle this during our last live that we did yeah so our uh, dear patrons are familiar with him but Come on, he's so cute. I yeah. couldn't resist. Couldn't be happier. And he just sits and he's always just right there. So somehow Chris Chris Evans, in your heart, buzz, always in mine. Listen, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And did you, dear listeners, in my in my inbox, DM inbox, <laughs> get into his. Oh, I'm yeah. kidding. It takes a Let him know. Um, you know, no, who gets hurt? Anyway, um, <laughs> Let's get onto the episode. I love this so much. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Lorena Bobbitt, which it really feels right that we've already hit on uh, Marky Mark's fake schlong in Boogie Nights, considering yeah. when you hear Lorena Bobbitt, we all know what you're thinking. But I we have do. a feeling there's a lot more to this. There is. Than what we And think. I am so excited that we are only so far in and you've already come up with two different ways to say dick. So I... I can't wait to see how many more. Yeah. Come well, on. Let's see. It's going to, I'm not going to limit myself. So for those of you who aren't familiar, here we grow. Many people are familiar with John and Lorena Bobbitt, the seemingly ordinary couple who became a household name in 1993 when Lorena severed John's penis. In what was described as the cut herd round the world, the Bobbitts became an instant punchline and fodder for late night comedians and Saturday Night Live sketches. But what many don't realize is that Lorena had suffered years of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of her husband, claims that John vehemently denies. The two trials that followed became a classic case of he said, she said, and erupted in a public battle of the sexes. So what really happened with Lorena Bobbitt? Why did she do it? Was she found guilty? 
And what kind of life has she been leading since it happened? Christy Oxborough investigates. Couldn't be more excited. Listen. Uh, when this uh, case was first suggested, I went into it knowing bare bones. Bare bones. I knew approximately, but it turns out I knew nothing. <laughs> oh, wow. But uh, I'm, uh, yeah, we're, uh, look, this is also going to be a record for the amount of times that I say penis. Yep. I'm sure. Um, it just, it can't be helped. There's some times where I do try and switch it up to organ <laughs> just to, to, to stop from saying it so many times. Uh, it's like if you say the word fork too many times, you're like, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. That feels weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyhow. So, this one comes with a heavy disclaimer. This episode will contain many mentions of domestic violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, rape, suicide, and mentions of graphic violence. So, trigger warning for those who need it. Lorena... Lenore Gallo was born October 31st, 1969 in Bouquet, Ecuador. She was raised in Caracas, Venezuela with a younger brother and a sister. Not much is known about their father except that he was a dental technician. Lorena became enamored with the United States after seeing it depicted in movies and television. So for her, for her quinceañera, Lorena was gifted a trip to America. I don't know where specifically she went or how long she stayed, but when Lorena returned home, she had the goal to move to the United States and live the true American dream. In 1987, Lorena received a student visa and moved to Virginia, where she enrolled in Northern Virginia Community College. Lorena then worked as a manicurist at a local salon in Manassas, Virginia, a small town about 30 miles or 48 kilometers west of Washington, D.C. In the fall of 1988, Lorena went to a singles night at a dance hall near the U.S. Marine Corps base at Quantico, Virginia. There she met Lance Corporal John Wayne Bobbitt, who was born March 23, 1967, in Buffalo, New York. John and his two brothers lived with their mother, who struggled with substance abuse. When John was three, he and his brothers were sent to live with their aunt and uncle, Marilyn and William Burrow, in Niagara Falls. After high school, John enlisted in the Marines because his friends were enlisting. Lorena later said, quote, I thought John was very handsome. Blue eyes, a man in uniform. He was almost like a symbol, a Marine fighting for the country, I believed in this beautiful country. I was swept off my feet. I wanted my American dream. John described Lorena as shy, pretty, innocent, and, quote, didn't speak much English. The couple soon started dating, making John Lorena's first boyfriend. John and Lorena were married about nine months into their relationship on June 18, 1989, in a small ceremony performed by a justice of the peace. John was 22 at the time. Lorena was 19. John claims that Lorena proposed to him 
while she claims he proposed to her. John also claimed that the wedding was rushed because Lorena's student visa was expiring and she wanted to remain in America. In interviews since, John has claimed he was pressured to marry Lorena by her mother because of her expiring visa, saying, quote, had to bite the bullet, I guess, get married. He's a real uh, something else, I'll tell you, as this goes on. Uh, but John has also stated, quote, we thought we were in love. I didn't want her to leave. And you'll find that happens a lot throughout this, where he'll say one thing and then he'll say the other. And it's like, which of these things is true? I think depending who he's talking to, he's either trying to seem like the cool, tough guy or he's trying to seem like uh, greatest love story of all time. You know what I mean? Ah, so it seemed as though John was willing to admit he was young and in love, but other times he admitted or he felt he needed an excuse as to why they got married. Uh, from Lorena's perspective, she said, quote, I went straight from high school to marriage. I never dated in between. I was naive about many things. Regardless as to why the wedding happened, the honeymoon phase did not last long. John soon started drinking heavily and spending money extravagantly, despite the couple not having much to begin with. John also turned aggressive towards Lorena. Just one month after the wedding, Lorena said John was driving erratically, so she asked him to stop. She even put her hands on the steering wheel to help straighten out the car, and John responded by punching her. Whoa. According to Lo yeah, according to Lorena... This was the first instance in a long line of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. In another instance, John and Lorena argued over which TV show to watch, and John allegedly broke the antenna off the roof, knocked Lorena over with his car, and drove away. Wow. During another fight, Lorena locked herself in the bathroom to get away from John. He unscrewed the doorknob to get into her. She tried to call 911, and John allegedly ripped the phone out of the wall. Oh my God. John, of course, denies any abuse. Even to this day, he claims Lorena was jealous and had a temper, and that she was the one who would punch, scratch, claw, and attack him. I would like to point out that John was, at this time, about 5'11 and 190 pounds. Lorena was 5'2 and about 92 pounds. I am not outright suggesting John was lying. I'm just saying it is a classic tactic for abusers to blame their victims. He also blamed their money troubles on her. Even a lot of their fights stemmed from John's uh, extravagant spending. Uh, but he would say it was Lorena's fault. He said, quote, Lorena was a good wife a lot of the time, but she was obsessed with having her American dream. She just wanted too much too fast. In December 1990, John had to have a meeting with a social worker at Quantico uh, Marine Base after allegedly trying to run Lorena over with his car. John claims he has no memory of the inc incident or of speaking with a social worker about it. He also claims he was never violent towards Lorena, saying, quote, I don't believe in violence. Okay. And yet, 
Neighbors and friends often said Lorena was covered in bruises. Lorena said, quote, he was very strong and I was between 93 and 95 pounds then. I basically surrendered myself. Like, okay, as a survival instinct, I wanted just to surrender my body, my mind, get it over with. As a Catholic, I didn't believe in divorce. I really believed that when he said sorry, he meant it. Throughout their marriage, police were often called to their home, sometimes by Lorena, sometimes by John. As John put it, quote, We fought, me and Lorena, yeah, but it was nowhere near battery. I assume he means except for the one time it was legitimately battery. In February 1991, the police were called to a domestic disturbance at the Bobbitt's home, and John was arrested for assault and battery, According to Prince William County Court records, John pleaded guilty. During one of the trials uh, years later, John denied both the domestic incident as well as the fact that he pleaded guilty. But court records don't lie, sir. We will get into the trials later on in our program. Yeah. The assault charges were later dropped against John after he was forced to attend counseling. And yet, despite all of this, John claims that he has never physically harmed anyone. Because again, to this day, John claims Lorena was the abuser, not him. John said his only physical response to Lorena's abuse was to, quote, subdue her or restrain her. But if John was simply subduing Lorena, then how does that account for the bruises that people often noted on Lorena's face and arms. Well, according to John, quote, If we get in a fight, and you jump on me and start hitting me, and I try to subdue you, you're gonna end up getting some type of injury, like a bruise or a fat lip. That escalated quickly. And to that I say, How are you subduing people, John, if they're getting fat lips? Yeah. John was discharged from the Marines in 1991, roughly two years after he and Lorena got married. John worked a few jobs, including as a bouncer at a nightclub in Manassas. But most of the jobs just didn't last, and John often struggled to find work. So Lorena became the sole provider for their household. At the time, Lorena worked as a nanny and as a manicurist at a beauty salon owned by Jana Bizzuti, forgive me if that's incorrect, uh, after going months as the only income in the home, Lorena grew desperate, so she started to embezzle from Jana's salon. By the time Jana realized what was happening, Lorena had taken about $7,200, which translates to over $15,000 in 2022. But instead of firing Lorena, Jana let her stay on but made Lorena pay her back in full with interest. Around this time, Lorena was caught shoplifting dresses from Nordstrom, for which she was given community service. Lorena said she stole them to improve her appearance because she was worried that John would cheat on her. At some point in 1991, Lorena discovered she was pregnant. She claims she was thrilled about starting a family, but John was upset and suggested He'd probably leave her if she chose to have the baby. What? Yeah. 
Lorena claims that John was the one to suggest an abortion. John, however, claims he and Lorena agreed it was the wrong time for a baby, and they both decided that the best decision would be for Lorena to have an abortion. Lorena later claimed that while at the clinic, John told her the procedure would probably kill her. Which is a disgusting example of the emotional abuse that Lorena was subjected to. John would also allegedly threaten to have her deported whenever Mm. he felt like it. God. John denies saying anything negative towards his wife, although in court he did admit he would tease her that, quote, her butt was getting too big. She was like 92 pounds. No. Stop it. No, ma'am. In October 1991, the Bobbitts' money problems continued and the house that they had purchased in 1990 went into foreclosure. The stress over it all came to a head and John and Lorena separated. They reunited about a year later, only to separate briefly again soon after, before moving into an apartment together in April 1993. But the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse continued. On June 21st, 1993, Lorena went to the courthouse to file a restraining order against John. She was told she would need to appear before a judge, which would take about three hours. Lorena said she would return later in the week, as she didn't have the three hours to spend in the moment. The next day, John and his friend Robert Johnston, uh, who was in town visiting from Buffalo, decided to go out for the night. John said that he They went out all night long, then went to Denny's for breakfast. They arrived back at John's apartment around 3 a.m., and Robert went to sleep in the living room, and John went to the bedroom. John claims when he got to the bedroom, Lorena made sexual advances towards him, and they fooled around for a while, but didn't have sex because John was too drunk. Lorena, however, claims that John raped her. She said, quote, He came back smelling like alcohol, woke me up, and jumped on top of me. And it sadly wasn't the first time. According to Lorena, John often raped her, something that she shared with friends and a neighbor. In fact, Lorena says this was the second time he had raped her in just two days. A neighbor later told police that after speaking with Lorena, the neighbor had given her some pamphlets about rape, which police later found on a dresser in their bedroom. But there was something different about the rape on June 21st. Lorena said she went into the kitchen for some water between 3.30 and 4.30 a.m. She saw a 12-inch knife and was overcome from years of abuse. She said, quote, The refrigerator door was open, and that was the only light. I turned and saw the knife. I took it. I went to the bedroom. I pulled the sheets off, and I cut him. And for those not overly familiar with this case, when Lorena said that she cut him, she specifically means she used that knife to cut John's penis off. She then threw the knife into a garbage can, got into her 1991 Mercury Capri, and left. She decided to drive to the salon where she worked, as it was often where she went when John lost his temper. Lorena later said that If she couldn't get to a friend's house, she would often go to the salon when John was being abusive. But since she didn't have a key for the building, she would end up sleeping in her car in the parking lot. 
So about 15 minutes into this drive, Lorena was having difficulty driving, and she realized it was because she had John's severed penis in her hand. She said, quote, I tried to drive the car, but I had this thing in my hand, so I couldn't drive, so I got rid of it. At the intersection of Maplewood Drive and Old Centerville Road, Lorena threw the severed organ out the driver's side window. According to the police, it landed about 24 feet away in a grassy field across from a 7-Eleven. Didn't anticipate a 7-Eleven coming up in this story. Yeah. Lorena continued driving to the nail salon, but when she found it was closed, she went to the home of her boss and friend, Jana Bisuti, uh, who immediately phoned the police. When they asked Lorena where the penis was, she gave them the specific intersection where she threw it out of the car. And honestly, if in that same situation, I easily would have gone, oh yeah, I don't know. It's amazing to me that she was willing to be like, oh, actually, this is where it is. So kudos to her for being willing to help. Yeah. Uh, John later said, quote, I felt a pull, a jerk that hurt real bad, and I sprang up like silent pain. I grabbed my groin area and held myself. He kicked his friend Robert awake around 5 a.m. John was naked and holding a bloody sheet to his groin. He asked for Robert to take him to the ER and added, quote, they better be able to make me a new penis. Which I, I, that's not how it happens. They can't just build it out of nothing. No. Now, I'm going to mention the times of this incident are weird. Everyone agrees that John and Robert arrived at the apartment around 3 a.m. Lorena says the incident, which she calls it, happened between 3.30 and 4.30 a.m. I don't think John continued to sleep until 5 a.m., like he says, uh, but I highly doubt he was paying attention to a clock. Uh, also, one of the surgeons said he ha- he received the phone call to come in before 4 a.m. So I I don't know whose time to go by here. I just gave you all of them because that's... If she doesn't know the exact information, she'll just give it all to you. Yep. So Robert drove John to the Prince William Hospital about 10 minutes away, where nurse Deborah Parrish said, quote, he came in through the emergency room. He had a kind of towel wrapped around his fist and held down on the crotch. At first, they thought he had done something to his hand. John responded, quote, I said, that's not where I'm cut. I showed the ER doctor it was the biggest, most shocked look on a doctor's face (laughs) you can imagine. Yeah, I bet. Plastic surgeon Dr. David Berman wasn't on call that night, but since he was a very uh, skilled microsurgeon, he was called in. He said, quote, do you have the part? They said no. So I said, is there any point in me coming down? They said, don't worry. She told them where she threw it. Oh, God. And police did manage to find the organ, thanks to Lorena's directions. When it was found, and I am serious about this, it was placed in a big bite hot dog box from 7-Eleven. <laughs> Stop it. And rushed to the hospital. Like, I can't. 
You can't make this up. Like I, I look here's what here, I want to clarify what I'm laughing at. I am not yes. laughing at a man getting his dick cut off. I I that's is no. horrific. It's horrific. Yes. No matter what he did to her, it it is horrific. Yes. But the but the police I'll always laugh at, and the police. I, I mean, on one hand, I can't fault them because what else were they going to use? But it is just. I don't know. That is a specific that, yeah, you can't script that shit. That is unbelievable. Nope. You also can't tell me that it wasn't like two dudes who found it and fought over who had to pick it up. You know what I mean? Because you can't tell me. And look, I'll say it. There are photos online of the severed organ. No. I will not be posting it. In our case file. Did you look because at Because I had no choice. I came across <laughs> it. It's It was... <laughs> I, I did not purposely search it. Of course. Uh, because I was looking for s- trial photos. And this is always what happens. And then it I just know. is... I, I, that's the problem with the internet. Yes. And there was one of, one of the surgeons. It, it was a picture of him holding up the photo. But it was blurred. So I was like, thank God. That's so fine. I start, I start scanning through and then it was like, oh, here it is zoomed. Here it is zoomed. It's it's just so gross to look at. So yeah. I am not posting that in our case file because I just. Thank you. Gross. Uh, but I know there are those morbidly curious ones. And look, it takes a very quick Google. It's out there. It's it's out there. You don't want it. But I can't stop you. No, nope. I'm not your mother. No, nope. I should be. <laughs> no, no. So, oh, God, like I can see it in my head and I hate it. So, Dr. Berman worked with urologist Dr. James Sen, uh, who said at the start of surgery that John had lost about a third of his blood volume. Wow. After a nine and a half hour operation, John's penis was reattached. Dr. Berman said they reconnected the major artery and veins and nerves under a microscope. Years later, he would say, quote, it remains the most interesting and dramatic case I've ever done in my life. And that is the most doctor quote I've ever heard in my life. Yes. That is the that is the non-emotional quote of a doctor. The most interesting. Yeah. Yes, that sounds oh, exactly. There's, there's one coming up from the doctors that was like. That, it made me chuckle. I so, can't wait. Yeah. Ah, so when John woke hours later, the first thing Dr. Berman said to him, and I only laugh because John is a piece of shit, and I do not laugh at this happening to him. I just laugh at, um, oh God, I bet his heart sank. Uh, the doctor said, quote, the operation was a success. But your penis could still turn black and fall off. <laughs> I can't. Why would you word it that way? Don't word it that way. That's it like was- the Arrested Development doctor. It's like, say say that it's like you know we're yeah. we're cautiously optimistic. There's ways that you can word that. Yes. that are better. Yes, but I I like the idea that in that moment he had like oh you know oh. anyhow so ah. <sighs> But luckily for John, I guess, it turns out that the surgery was a success and his penis was restored to almost full function. Three days later, John said, quote, 
I woke up and was like, wow, it's working, kind of. I called the hotel where my mom and dad were. My mom answered and I was like, mom, I got an erection. She didn't want to hear that. No, John, she didn't. <laughs> like, I can't with this man. I just can't. Uh, while the media would later focus on John's injury, during John's surgery, Lorena was at the hospital undergoing a rape kit. I bet that's something a lot of people don't focus on. Yep. <sighs> Lorena was arrested and charged with malicious wounding. Six weeks later, John was indicted on a charge of marital sexual assault. Why sexual assault when Lorena had outright accused him of marital rape? Well, according to Virginia law at that time, for it to be considered marital rape, two conditions needed to be met. One, the spouses had to be living separately at the time of the crime. And two, the rape had to cause, quote, permanent or significant physical damage. Wow. Yep. Horrifying fact. Until 1975, every state in America had a marital exemption that allowed a man to rape his wife without any legal consequences. Thankfully, all states now recognize rape within a marriage as a crime, and the majority charge the crime in the same way as rape between strangers or acquaintances. But in the state of Virginia, in some cases of marital rape, the state will opt for marital or personal counseling instead of court proceedings. That's insane. Both John and Lorena's trials carried a potential maximum sentence of 20 years. John's trial was slated for November 1993. And as one tends to do with a famous case, John's lawyer, Gregory Murphy, was asked if he planned to file for a change of venue. Murphy said, quote, we were given a November trial date. It was probably the most intense three months I've ever had. I was hearing from people from Bangkok to Berlin. They asked if I was going to move it out of Manassas because of the jury pool. I said, where am I going to move it? They've heard about this in the Amazon. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of what happens when, uh, you know. Huge trials happen. Yeah. Uh, so the trial started November 8th at Prince William County Court. Since it was a sexual assault case, the trial was not televised, but that didn't quell the public's interest. With swarms of media coming into the city, some, city whoa, some locals tried to take advantage of the situation. A t-shirt vendor named Wendy. This is a quote from Wendy. <laughs> we lived a mile from where the event happened. And I said, well, there's nothing here for a souvenir except those ornaments they sell down at the train station. What if we sold t-shirts? One day I was in the shower and I thought, Manassas, a cut above the rest. And I thought, that's awesome. And I went with it. You heard me correctly. Wendy decided to sell t-shirts that said, Manassas, Virginia, a cut above the rest. Outside the trial of a marital sexual assault case. The shirt sold very well. In fact, she sold about 900 shirts at 10 bucks a piece. But inside the courtroom, things were more serious, I guess. In her testimony, Lorena said that John arrived home drunk on June 22nd, woke her up, 
choked her, and then raped her. She said it was the second rape to occur in two days, but that 72 hours prior, she and John had consensual sex. On the stand, Lorena said to John, quote, I was crying. I said, you hurt me again and again and again. How much do I have to put up with? A court counselor reminded the court that Lorena had tried to get a restraining order the day before the incident occurred. John testified that he couldn't recall whether they had sex or not. A police detective testified that John said if he did have sex with Lorena that night, then it was done when he was asleep because he did those things very often. But don't worry, later in life when asked about the trial, John said, quote, I was sad she had to go, all, go through all that. She was my wife. I can't tell whether all that was referring to the trial itself or the years of abuse, but I guess we'll just have to decide for ourselves what yeah. happened. In Prosecutor Paul Ebert's closing argument, he said, quote, you might say these two people deserve each other. <laughs> wow. Uh, which feels like the wrong energy for a prosecutor. Yeah. I'm no expert. Uh, on November 10th, after four hours of deliberation, the jury of nine women and three men found John Bobbitt not guilty of marital sexual assault. According to one juror, quote, if someone had heard her scream or if there had been some sort of bruising, that would have been more substantive evidence. After the trial, John did what any acquitted man would do, and that's milk his newfound fame for what it's worth. And one of the first things he did uh, was with a man that I complained about in the very last episode. So going two for two in season four, I present to you a section that I've titled Howard Stern again. Oh, God. <laughs> so for those who don't know or those uh, who haven't heard last week's episode about Selena, Howard Stern was known as a shock jock for his nationally syndicated radio show that ran from 1986 to 2005. Starting in 2006, Stern's show has been broadcast by Sirius. Mm -hmm. The term shock jock simply uh, because Stern loves attention. He doesn't care if it's positive or negative. In the 90s especially, the man did pretty much anything to get a reaction from the public. If you'd like to hear more about his bullshit... Head back to episode 89, Selena. In December 1994, Howard released his New Year's Rotten Eve special, which according to IMDb was, quote, a bizarre beauty pageant with celebrity guests, including pre-recorded skits broadcast live on pay-per-view. One of those skits, the uh, one where Stern dressed in blackface, I mentioned it in the Selena episode. I believe I misdated it and said it was 1993 because that's what I had found first. Uh, turns out it was 1994. Uh, celebrity guests on this special included Sherman Hemsley, Mark Hamill, and John Bobbitt. Stern brought John on to the special to partake in a telethon to raise money towards John's legal and medical bills. Howard pleaded with the public to donate to help make John whole again. The show raised about $260,000. The entire show 
which was like five hours long, was just constant dick jokes, which isn't far off from Howard's usual show. But it started simple with Howard Stern saying, John, I'm glad you could come. And John responding, I can't, Howard. Okay. I'm an adult, folks. Like, this... Fuck off, Howard. Anyhow. Then there was a pre-recorded bit where John talks about the incident and there's a full dramatic recreation um, where they have things like a dog eating John's penis and a police officer putting John's penis in a hot dog container and then forgetting it's not a hot dog and almost eating it. Uh, The segment concludes with Howard Stern saying, quote, a penis is a terrible thing to waste. Uh. And then... My beloved Bee Gees, sing a song, don't ever piss off your wife, you'll lose your penis. Then Corbin Burnson makes a surprise appearance in a PSA saying, quote, all it takes is the rage of one angry woman and a stainless steel knife to sever a man from the one thing that makes him a man. And yes, I openly love the Bee Gees. Gone are the days when I'm embarrassed about enjoying something. And let that be a lesson, kids. If someone makes you feel bad or embarrassed about stuff that you like, you don't need the negativity in your life. I guarantee that the things you like, whether it's music or a TV series or a collectible or what have you, I guarantee that thing is going to give you more joy than the curmudgeons who try and put you down for liking it. That's where I stand on that. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Howard Stern's show didn't bother to mention any of the abuse or rape allegations against John. Isn't that surprising? He was seen simply as a victim. And it bothers me to my core that Lorena Bobbitt was seen as an old battle axe who got angry at her husband, so she cut off his dick. No one seemed to bother looking at the fact that Lorena was horribly abused for years. The bit of information always kind of got missed. So Lorena was the villain and John was the hero. And Howard Stern absolutely believed that Lorena was the villain. After John's New Year's Eve appearance, he ended up becoming a regular guest on Stern's radio show. And the last time I mentioned this piece of garbage, I gave a list of things he's done over his career that were horrific. I now present to you a list of quotes that Howard Stern has said regarding the Lorena Bobbitt case. Quote, no creep deserves what that psycho bitch did. Quote, a guy's whole life is his penis. John Bobbitt did say that when he first realized what happened, quote, "It it was a devastating thing to happen to you suddenly. Suicide seemed like the only answer. Oh, another great quote from Howard Stern. I don't even buy that he was raping her. She's not that great looking. Okay. See, and there it goes. It's just... Yeah. And to that, Howard, I say, rape is not about attraction. It's about power. Grow the fuck up. (laughs) I have no time. No time for that, man. Yeah. And I know there are going to be people who are like, this was years ago. I'm sure he's grown. Are we? Are we sure? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another quote, 
she must have really liked it if she didn't want to want him to leave so bad. To which John responded, quote, she punished me for leaving her because John claims Lorena did what she did because earlier that night he told her he was divorcing her. And finally, when talking to John about the woman that he started to date after the trials, Stern asked, quote, Did you have to smack this new girlfriend around or was she okay? Sometimes they don't listen. You know how that is. And there it is. Yep. When asked about Stern's statements, Lorena said, quote, The way I look at it, if I was waiting for everyone to give me an apology, that, that would have prevented me from moving on with my life. And I'm not going to sit around for everyone to give me an apology. I think Howard and many others missed tremendous opportunities to talk about the serious social issues. And hopefully, this is the last time that I have to talk about Howard Stern. Yeah, it's so ironic that he's come up twice in two episodes. I mean, I what are the chances? Know. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, so much more to come. But right now... Let's take a quick break, have another drink, hit the can, and we're going to be right back with more on the Lorena Bobbitt episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Lorena Bobbitt case. Before the break, Christy was truly horrifying me by recounting some of the unbelievable quotes that Howard Stern made uh, to John Bobbitt. Um, what's next? Well, between, because there was the two trials. We've only fully discussed one trial, but there were two trials in this case. Yes. Between the trials. John was instructed by his media advisor to go stay with a friend in Colorado to try and stay away from the press. As John put it, quote, a friend of mine has a cattle ranch. I went there and did some cowboy stuff. Lorena continued to work and try and live a life as normal as possible. So after piece of shit John Bobbitt, I'm over it, yep. you know, uh, gets acquitted of marital sexual assault. It was time for Lorena Bobbitt's trial for the felony of malicious wounding. Again, trigger warning for this section, as it will heavily mention rape and domestic violence. The trial started January 10th, 1994. 
Outside the courthouse, it was an even bigger circus than the first trial. Hawkers sold $25 t-shirts that read, Love Hurts, and was autographed by John Bob. Oh my god. Some sold penis-shaped chocolates. A radio station served hot dogs with slice soda. A restaurant offered the Bobbit special, which included a hot dog with French-cut fries. The Oscar Mayer Wienermobile showed up and handed out cocktail weenies outside the courthouse. This is unbelievable. I am going based on a witness account. I tried to find photos of that because I was like, that's awful. At one point, there was a folk band who played their own version of Paul Simon's classic 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, except their version was called 50 Ways to Cleave Your Lover and included lyrics such as, Cut off the hill, Jill. Cut off the stack, Jack. You're no weird Al. It, I was going to say, barely feels creative. Yeah, no, it's... Just stop it. The entire trial was aired on CNN, and when coverage was interrupted by a press conference by then-President Bill Clinton, CNN's phone lines were filled with angry viewers who did not want to miss a second of that trial. I truly believe that Lorena's trial was the moment when the world became fascinated with true crime. The period between 1993 and 1997 involved some of the biggest cases in true crime to this day. In 1993, there was the World Trade Center bombing, the West Memphis Three killings, the Bobbitt incident, a Menendez brothers trial, 1994, Nancy Kerrigan's attack, the same month as Lorena's trial. Then the deaths of Kurt Cobain and Nicole Brown Simpson. 1995, death of Selena, Oklahoma City bombing, O.J. Simpson's trial. 1996, the arrest of Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber, the Centennial Olympic Park bombing, the deaths of Tupac and JonBenet Ramsey. 1997, deaths of Notorious B.I.G. and Princess Diana and the reveal of the Monica Lewinsky-Bill Clinton scandal. Wow. Lorena's trial was right between the first Menendez brothers trial that resulted in a guilty verdict and the OJ trial. That chunk of time somehow was like true crime prime time. So no wonder the OJ trial ended up being this insane media circus. The public was hungry for it. I just hadn't really looked at the timeline of these big cases and realized how close they all kind of happened to each other. Yeah. And for any new listeners to our show, we have done a lot of episodes about the very cases that I just mentioned. Eight of them, in fact. Technically nine, if you count the one we're doing right now. But feel free to dip back into the back catalog or specifically check out for episodes 20, 21, 24, 26, 44, 54, 71, and 89. I have never felt more like a bingo caller. And if you are new to the show, welcome and thank you for checking us out. And yes, I do often get sidetracked mid-story. <laughs> if you find that charming, you might enjoy us. If not, we appreciate that you tried. <laughs> yeah. 
in Lorena's trial, see, always she gets distracted, but always comes back. The prosecution focused on making Lorena seem like a vengeful woman, taking out her anger on her innocent husband. And unfortunately, they had Lorena's first statement to police, which was, quote, he always have orgasm and he doesn't wait for me to have orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pulled back the sheets then and I did it. Lorena said the statement was inaccurate because there wasn't a translator involved. Again, she'd only been in America for so long. Uh, she said, quote, everything went just fast. The lead prosecutor called Lorena temperamental and demanding. Oh. And tried, tried to make John seem like a helpless victim. The defense, however, detailed the years of rape and abuse that Lorena allegedly suffered at the hands of John. She was described as, quote, a battered woman in the classic sense. Lorena said, quote, I didn't want to teach him a lesson. It was survival, life and death. I was fearing for my life. John testified he never committed any acts of violence towards his wife. However, numerous witnesses said Lorena often had bruises on her arms and neck. Some even testified that they had seen John abuse Lorena, including hitting, shoving, slapping, choking, pulling Lorena's hair, and throwing her against a wall. Lorena claimed that John would knock her to the ground and then twist her ankles in a torture technique that he learned in the Marine Corps. Jesus. Photos were shown in court of injuries that John had allegedly inflicted on Lorena, and many of Lorena's co-workers testified that Lorena often hid bruises under makeup and long sleeves. According to a client at the nail salon, Lorena had bruises on her forearms and was trembling during the client's appointment on June 17, 1993. The client, Regina Keegan, said that Lorena had told her her husband had inflicted the bruises and that he had threatened to throw Lorena over the balcony of their apartment. Regina said Lorena appeared to be terrified. June 17th being four days before she went for a restraining order, five days before the incident occurred. Lorena testified that John would fly off the handle over the smallest things, such as the time he kicked her over a discussion on whether their Christmas tree should be artificial. Or the time that Lorena complained that the TV volume was too loud, and John responded, and I'm sorry, but this is graphic, he responded by raping her anally for the first time. Jesus! A co-worker testified that a few weeks before the incident, quote, you could see her character was just fading away. When asked in court why she tolerated the abuse, Lorena said, quote, As an immigrant woman, I was often too scared to call the police for help. My abusive husband always threatened that he could have the police detain me and have me deported back to my country. And a quote of Lorena's that I mentioned earlier, quote, As a Catholic, I didn't believe in divorce. I really believed that when he said sorry, he meant it. A psychiatrist testified for the defense saying that Lorena suffered a brief reactive psychosis under which she attacked the instrument that was the weapon of her torture. A psychiatrist for the prosecution, however, testified that Lorena, quote, had a choice to make. She chose to amputate that penis. And as such, we do not have an irresistible impulse, but an impulse 
She chose to not resist. The defense said the entire incident was done in self-defense out of an irresistible impulse, which is a form of temporary insanity. Lorena testified that she didn't even realize what she was doing until she noticed the severed organ in her hand while she was driving. And while John may continue to deny any physical abuse towards his wife, I want to remind you of an earlier quote when John said, I try to subdue you, you're going to end up getting some type of injury, like a bruise or a fat lip. Again, I'd love to know how he subdues people. Mm -hmm. When Lorena's lawyer asked John if there was any pushing or shoving that occurred in their relationship, John replied, pushing and shoving was just a couple, quote, fighting with each other, not spousal abuse. And let's not forget the emotional abuse, like how John allegedly threatened to have Lorena deported any time he was mad at her, or the time when Lorena went to a doctor because she was hyperventilating and shaking. I'm not a doctor, but I'd like to say it was likely she was maybe having a panic attack. Uh, according to the doctor who treated Lorena, John was, quote, laughing at her for being sick. Witnesses also admitted that John would often belittle Lorena over trivial things, like her appearance or the way she cooked. Oh, God. Aside, I know. Aside from the physical and emotional abuse, the trial also focused on the sexual abuse, or more specifically, the rape that allegedly led Lorena to committing the crime. Lorena was asked if she resisted John or not that night. Lorena said she didn't scream because she was embarrassed for their house guest to hear what was happening. She also said, quote, he jumped on top of me, started grabbing my arms really tight. I said I didn't want to have sex. He forced me. I was just fighting. He wouldn't listen. John's story about that night of it of the incident changed multiple times throughout the trial. First, he said he returned home with Robert and was so tired, he went to bed without speaking a word to Lorena. Then he said Lorena tried to initiate sex, but he was too tired, so he turned her down. And the next thing he knew, he woke up bleeding. But in a third version of the events, John admitted he may have had sex with Lorena that night, but if he did, it was consensual. <laughs> He said, quote, I was leaving her for good. It was what my mom said. If she couldn't have me, no one could. John testified that when Lorena first grabbed his penis before cutting it, he thought she was trying for sex, saying, quote, I thought she was trying to get me hard again. So what's true, John? Did you turn her down or did you have sex? The wording hard again implies that you were hard before which could imply that you had sex, doesn't automatically mean that you did. But he doesn't remember if they had sex or not. John was adamant he did not rape Lorena. He said, quote, never raped anybody in my life. Everything was done in my sleep, the sexual advances, the talking, all in a deep sleep. So now he's trying to blame his subconscious for the things that he's done. I can't with this guy yeah that's extreme peaches I'm so sorry. oh no i've got a she... blind dog who's like two feet from me looking for me peaches come here almost deaf just one of them days there we go i gotcha i gotcha so sorry oh, everything's no, no. fine everything's fine you're okay so some of john's friends 
testified that John outright boasted about enjoying forced or brutal sex with women. Okay. One said that during a conversation in the fall of 1992, John said, quote, he liked to make girls squirm and yell and make them bleed and yell for help. Wowzer. Unfortunately, this particular witness's testimony was never brought up in John's marital sexual assault trial because that trial was limited to the events that occurred in just the five days leading up to the incident. But not all of John's friends testified against him. His friend Robert, who was staying with the Bobbitts the night of the incident, claimed before Lorena left, she stole $100 from him and his Game Boy. And to that I say, Robert, do you have any proof of that? Because I haven't heard anything about Lorena being found with a with a Game Boy. I also, uh, yeah, one other quick question, and I'm so sorry that if I missed this. Was Robert yeah. from out of town? He's from Buffalo, yes. So he was visiting oh, from, from out of town. York. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, why did he bring his Game Boy over for the night also? Like, that's... Well, why did he bring his Game Boy anyway? Like, you're an adult man, anyway. Well, that has yet to be seen. Yeah. Uh, John testified that he believed that Lorena did what she did because he told her he was divorcing her, and the idea of divorce hurt her. He said Lorena was crying and begging him not to leave because she didn't believe in divorce. After deliberating for six hours... On January 21st, the jury of seven women and five men found Lorena Bobbitt not guilty due to temporary insanity. One juror later said, quote, we just didn't believe John. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That speaks volumes. Uh-huh. Uh, just three hours in, the jurors were initially seven to five in favor of insanity, although the five felt that Lorena should be charged with a lesser charge of unlawful wounding. So they decided to draw a diagram on a chalkboard or blackboard and use it to reconstruct the events of June 22nd. A juror said, quote, we walked through it and tried to put ourselves in her shoes. We had to know what she felt at each step. The reenactment led to the conclusion that Lorena had acted in self-defense in a moment of temporary insanity. The public reacted terribly to the verdict. Super tough men said Lorena ought to be executed for what she did. Which is so reminiscent of old timey dudes who would call a woman a witch if she did something they didn't agree with or like and that she deserved to be hung for it. Uh, and while Lorena had a lot of support from domestic violence groups, women weren't 100% innocent here either. The urologist who assisted in John's reattachment surgery, his wife was harassed by women wherever she went simply because the surgery was successful. And if anyone should have been harassed here, it's John, not his surgeon, and certainly not the surgeon's wife. You don't no. go for people you just well, you don't go for people, but you don't go for people um, involved unless oh god, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, they hit their son who guilt who killed Gabby Petito, 
for example. Yes, sure, certainly, you know? certainly. Yeah. Different story, like, different you story. You don't go for people. Uh, so now we know that John and Lorena were both acquitted. We want to know what happened to them after the trials. Well, for starters, John and Lorena officially divorced in 1995. But we're going to look at John's sorry existence first, so we can just hurry up and stop talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> because I am over it. Uh, after the trials, John went on a 40-city Love Hurts media tour. He made appearances on any talk show that would have him, including The Jenny Jones Show and, of course, The Howard Stern Show. By March, though, the public's interest in John had run its course. According to his media advisor, quote, Every appearance you could do, he's done. We all convene for a farewell meeting. We say, John, it's officially over. There's enough money left in your account to buy a one-way ticket to anywhere in America. We, the good guardian angels who provided you with deliverance, are begging you to go back to the ranch in Colorado, start your life again there. But it's up to you. Where should we book the ticket? To which John re replies, I want to go to Vegas. Oh, boy. Not much of a surprise. But once in Vegas, John tried anything to try and capitalize off his newfound fame and stay relevant. He started a rock band called The Severed Parts. Unfortunately, uh, it seems the band failed before releasing any music. He autographed steak knives for money and appeared on WWE Monday Night Raw. In September 1994, he starred in a porn film called John Wayne Bobbitt Uncut. Dr. Sen, John's urologist, said, quote, it's not often that our work is displayed in that fashion. <laughs> Which, I mean. It's such a doctor thing to say. I know. I know. Uh, I love it. Uh, the film was directed by Ron Jeremy, who claims that the video is one of the highest grossing adult films of all time. At first, the video was selling about 1,100 copies a month, so John was finally making some money. Although he'd need to use that money for his next round of legal troubles. Oh, boy. During John's trial in November 1993, a woman named Beatrice Williams came forward claiming she had dated John for three months in 1992. I couldn't confirm whether this meant that John cheated on Lorena or not. From what I can best tell, this relationship occurred when John and Lorena were separated. But it's still possible that they were together, but I think they were separated. The thing is, uh, John says he knew Beatrice, but he absolutely didn't date her. But Beatrice wasn't claiming that she dated John. She was claiming that John was the biological father of her son, Andrew. Oh, boy. Who was born December 30th, 1992. Beatrice said she lost contact with John but found him after seeing his trial mentioned on the news. John and Beatrice allegedly dated between March and May of 1992, when John was 25 
and Beatrice was 19. So in November 1993, Beatrice sued John for child support. After all, John was even listed on the child's birth certificate as being the father. After two blood tests, it was found that John was 99.99% likely to be the father. John was ordered to pay $50,000 over the course of six months. He made one payment and then had to be taken to court for the rest, although he didn't bother to show up to his court date. Under New York law at the time, child support meant 17% of John's income, but John declared he had no income and he was probably going to be filing for bankruptcy. Except John started making money from his adult film. So John finally agreed to pay a lump sum in child support, but only if he got to meet his son. Quote, I'm planning to personally deliver the child support payment so I can see him right away. And before anybody awes about this, prior to this, even from the moment he found out this child existed, until this moment, he never made any attempts to see the child. And any time he had to gush to the nearest reporter about it, but in private, didn't bother. But it wasn't public knowledge. So John kept running to the press and saying things like, I can't wait to see Andrew, my only child. And quote, I will be there for Andrew as much as humanly possible, emotionally, physically, and financially. I am ready to love him with all my heart. Really? John will do anything to try and stay relevant. I tried to find out if John remained in his son's life or not, but couldn't find anything concrete, not even a photo. And maybe they've kept their relationship away from the spotlight, but that feels like a very non-John thing to do. And hey, it's more than possible that John stayed in Andrew's life and has been a decent father over the past few decades. But until John or Andrew talks publicly, we'll never know. But what we do know is that within two months of Lorena's trial ending, John was engaged to a former dancer named Christina Elliott. Two months later, on May 6, 1994, John was arrested for misdemeanor assault after Christina accused him of throwing her against a wall. There it is. Yep. Christina also claims that John punched two holes in a closet door mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. John pleaded not guilty. He gets convicted and is sentenced to 60 days in jail. But for some reason, the judge suspended 45 days of the sentence, meaning John spent 15 days in jail. The judge then ordered John to attend therapy and Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, as the judge believed that John's attitude problem was caused by his drinking. And not to be disrespectful, judge, but... It is not just an attitude problem, it's also an abusive problem, and I dare to say an anger management problem. Yeah. And just months later, John was convicted of a second domestic battery charge against Christina. He was sentenced to 30 days in jail. The judge called John a bully and said his behavior was unacceptable. Then maybe more than 30 days. Yeah. Then came 1996, which was undoubtedly 
A weird year for John. First, after taking up Howard Stern on his offer to pay for a male enhancement surgery, John's second adult film, Frankenpenis, was released. The reviews were mixed. <laughs> According to John, quote, a porno seemed like the best way to show my penis worked. But according to, according to Ron Jeremy, quote, with that type of procedure, length you can do, not thickness. John went for both. <laughs> so yeah, Franken penis <laughs> makes sense, I guess. Uh, that same year, John became an ordained minister at the Universal Life Church. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Yeah, again, different different ends of the spectrum there. Uh, in 1997, Ron Jeremy introduced John to Dennis Hoff, the owner of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, a brothel in Carson City, Nevada. The same brothel where Lamar Odom overdosed in 2015. Dennis said, quote, I hired John as a greeter. I thought it might be an opportunity to get a little media for the ranch. John's first interview was with NBC. He was all, I feel so bad. I'll make it up to Lorena. I want to get back together. And then he offered to show the producer his dick, which I heard from some of my girls looked like a dented Red Bull can. <laughs> I get him in the office and I say, listen, butthead, this is not a petting zoo. Put your dick away. I love Dennis's energy. <laughs> listen, he has a very specific business and he doesn't want it fucked with. I get it. Yes. Also, dented Red Bull can Oof. might be, uh, that's the only image I need. Uh, apparently John would show his penis to anyone who asked. And sadly, a lot of people who visited the ranch asked to see it. Dennis fired and rehired John several times over the next few years, finally letting him go in 2002 after John broke the rules. According to Dennis, quote, we had an agreement. He wasn't supposed to drink, leave town, or sleep with my girls, and he did all three. <laughs> Again, I, I love Dennis's energy, or maybe I just love the energy I'm bringing to the yeah. Dennis performance. Yep. I can't tell. When John left, he was about to marry fitness model Joanna Farrell. John left on such bad terms with Dennis that when he got married in 2002, the ranch sponsored a gambling pool called... When will Bobbitt beat his bride? Oh, wow. They offered an all-expenses-paid trip to the winner. I don't know who ended up winning the contest, but John and Joanna split months later. That same year, John was supposed to appear on Celebrity Boxing 2, where he would be knocking gloves with Joey Botafuco. However, he was unable to make the show, as he was charged with battery against Joanna, after she claimed that John pushed her down and broke her tailbone and a finger. Oof. John was found guilty and spent 15 months in prison. In 2004, John was arrested again on more assault charges towards Joanna. This time he was found not guilty and ordered to attend domestic violence classes. In response to this not guilty verdict, John said, quote, 
I've never been so happy with the judicial system. And honestly, I'm surprised he's ever been happy with it since he's been around it so much. In 1999, John pleaded guilty to attempted grand larceny for allegedly shoplifting $140,000 worth of clothes from a store in Fallon, Nevada. He was sentenced to five years probation. John, however, claims he thought the clothing had already been paid for. By who, John? What kind you of clothing? Didn't have the money. What kind of clothing is he? $140,000? What is he buying? In- like rare crocodile pants? Is he going full Nick Cage on us? Like, what is this? Oh, I guarantee it. I guarantee he was full, like, Crockett and Tubbs or something. Like, his outfits must have been something else. I guess yeah. maybe not Not so much Crockett and Tubbs as uh, Hall and Oates outfits. I'm going to... A lot of leopard print, a lot of zebra print, I bet. And real, I bet, is how it cost that much. Yeah. Oh, but four months later... John was in more legal hot water when he was arrested for harassing his former girlfriend, Desiree, whom John met while he was working at the brothel. At the time, he was 32, and Desiree was 19. Oof. To quote McConaughey in that movie again, I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. Yep. Uh, John and Desiree moved into an apartment in New York together, and Desiree claimed John reacted violently when she wanted to leave. She said, quote, John flew off the handle and beat me with just about everything that was loose in the apartment. He forcibly took me out onto the balcony and pushed me over the edge and was holding onto me by my lower legs, dangling me over the balcony, threatening to drop me. Which as you may recall, is exactly what Lorena claimed that John had done to her. Desiree said John pulled her hair and dragged her across the railing into the bedroom where he tied her to their bed. John then allegedly raped Desiree repeatedly, saying she was his Lorena now. Oh my God. Yep. Desiree managed to escape three days later. Since the rape allegations didn't come out until later, John was only found guilty of harassment and sentenced to time served and ordered to refrain from contacting Desiree. After his split with his third wife, Joanna, John returned to New York to help care for his mother. And I know what you're all thinking. If Lorena was John's first wife and Joanna was John's third wife, Who was John's second wife? I'm so glad you asked. Somewhere between 2002, somewhere between 95 when he divorced Lorena and 2002 when he married his third wife, John married a writer named Dottie Brewer. Their union was annulled after, after, sorry, 13 days. Dottie then released a book called this week, I married John Wayne Bobbitt. And honestly, the fact that Donnie, Dottie clearly got into this marriage to try and make money off it, it shocks me that those two like-minded souls didn't last. Feels like maybe that was a match. Yeah. 
Uh, When making money off his name didn't work, John worked various jobs, including limo driver, carpentry, construction, truck driver, mover, bartender, pizza delivery person, and tow truck operator. He even briefly worked at the Jim Rose Circus as a sideshow blockhead, meaning he would hammer things like nails and random objects up his nose. He also took part in the knife-throwing act, because of course he did. Someone at the circus said, quote, John thinks he's living in 1993 and that everyone is still interested in him. In 2014, a car blew through a red light and John ran into it, breaking his neck. In 2016, John made an appointment with Dr. Berman, the man who performed his original surgery, and asked him to perform a penis reduction. As John had told him, quote, I should have just left it alone. Oh, my God. Uh, But John still loves talking about his dick. Here's a fun quote. The doctors told me I'd never be able to have sex again because my injuries were so bad. But I've proved them wrong time and time again. I believe I've slept with 70 women since the incident. Being the most famous man to have his penis chopped off does have its advantages. It definitely has not hurt my love life. In fact, it's improved it. Just because they fucked you doesn't mean that they loved you, John. Well, also, I love that he's also mentioning in interviews, like, I, I, I want Lorena back. And it's like, yeah, you can you can have sex with 70 women, but we we all see what's going on inside. Oh, and this is also the man who would just, like, ask producers on TV, like, you want to see it? It's like, no. No, we don't. No. Again, the only way I've seen it is the only way I'm ever going to see it. I purposely made sure not to ever see. I I wasn't going to watch his porn, but I made sure not to Google to make. So I didn't accidentally see a screenshot of his porn. Seeing that limp little pile was enough. I can't. So John was planning to marry for a fourth time. But that wedding seems to have been called off. As of 2018, because I couldn't find anything more recent, John is single and has been living off the disability payments that he received after that car accident in 2014. He spends most of his time searching for the treasure belonging to Forrest Fenn, (laughs) which is rumored to be buried somewhere in the Rockies. John hopes that finding the treasure could earn him an invitation to the White House, because he wanted to personally convey his support for then-President Donald Trump. Why did I feel that coming? Yeah. Now, before we move on, I should mention that in 2019, John claimed he grew up in an abusive household. Before living with his aunt and uncle, John says his father used to abuse his mother. Quote, There was a lot of anger in my family with my dad, and he was abusive. My uncles would come over and beat him up because he was being violent or touching their sister or whatever. But after John and his brothers moved in with relatives, the abuse didn't stop. John said, quote, We had a pedophile uncle that kind of abused us. We were six, seven, and eight. He's passed away now, but we were young and did alcohol, and he molested some of us, and, you know, 
We don't talk about it. Mm. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I believe victims. But even Rolling Stone suggested that these abuse allegations were John's last ditch excuse to blame something else to blame for the life that he had lived. But if there is any truth to what John is saying, it would make sense. Research suggests that there is a link between witnessing or enduring abuse as a child and becoming an abuser in adulthood. According to the Childhood Domestic Violence Association, children who grow up witnessing domestic violence are 74% more likely to commit a violent crime as an adult. And more specifically, if a boy sees his mother being abused, he is 10 times more likely to abuse a female partner when he's older. Since his divorce from Lorena in 1995, John has been arrested seven times for offenses including grand larceny, misdemeanor domestic battery, and assault. As of 2022, four women have accused John of domestic violence. But in classic John fashion, he still completely denies all of the allegations. In a 2018 interview with Vanity Fair, John said, quote, I didn't batter Lorena and those women after Lorena, the ones who were using me, my name as a stepping stone. I didn't batter them either. I'm a Marine. I'm trained to protect people, not hurt them. You're a Marine. You haven't been a Marine since 1991, John. Yeah. I, I mean, and listen, I'm building a profile, but he's, of course. he's confounding. He's, he's something else. Uh, John has also said, quote, that he has never used violence against another person pretty much ever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but pretty much ever doesn't really convince me of anything here, especially when John outright pleaded guilty to assault and battery in 1991. But I think at this point, we've learned that John might not exactly be trustworthy, like how he claimed Lorena attacked him because he was leaving her for good. And yet, in a recent interview, John admitted, quote, If instead of cutting off my penis that night, she'd just waited until I woke up and talked to me, we'd probably still be married with a family. Stop it. Oh, I, okay. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear. Now I know. Anything okay. I can do to, to, to help with the diagnosis. Yeah, well. Uh, and I think we can all agree that that statement is highly delusional. But while we're on the topic of things that John Bobbitt has said, before I move on, I'd like to share a few more quotes of his, if I may. When John spoke about his childhood abuse, he said, quote, I kind of relate to Lorena because my mother went through the same thing. There was a lot of anger in my family with my dad, and he was abusive. So is John suggesting that Lorena's father was abusive? Or was he subconsciously admitting that he abused Lorena? That's, I mean, what that sounds like to me is him saying that, that he's admitting that he abused her. Right? Because yes. to me, I mean, it makes sense. My mother, like, I relate to Lorena. Because my mother went through the same thing. Because my father was abusive to her. So it's like, so are you just admitting that? Well, I, 
I think that he lives in two different realities is oh, my I... part of my diagnosis. So yeah, I think that is exactly what he meant. Mm. Well, uh, but of course, John always claims that Lorena was the abuser, saying, quote, I think she was always afraid someone was going to take me away from her, like I was her prize. Prize. God's gift to women, huh, John? Fucking gross. Yeah. So, John also said, quote, These women, they know that their backup is to use law enforcement to their advantage by saying, you know what? If you leave or if you fuck up this relationship, you don't get my citizenship. I'll call the cops. Mm. Again, trying to make himself believe he can do no wrong by putting the blame fully on his victims for getting police involved or for his relationships ending. In 2018, John described himself as cool, calm, collected, peaceful. Quote, I don't like violence. I don't believe in violence. Oh, sure. And if that's truly how you feel, John, then you're either lying to yourself or just lying to the interviewers. And finally, when being interviewed by Vanity Fair in 2018, this is my favorite John thing because I feel we're allowed to kind of laugh at it. John points out a Bob Ross painting in his home. The interviewer, Lily Analik, I hope I said that right, comments on it and is like, Bob Ross? I loved Bob Ross when I was a kid. To which John says, quote, well, it's not a real Bob Ross, but it's still good, though. For which, I don't know why, but it made me laugh so hard that he tried to flex owning a Bob <laughs> Ross and then immediately, immediately admitted, oh, it's not real. That's that's it's so a weird, one, though. Like a good, but it's a good one, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, uh, John met with the interviewer Lily uh, months later. He suggested, "Why don't we finish this conversation over dinner Mm-mm. at the restaurant in my hotel?" Mm-mm. She declined. Good for her. Oh, I know. I her article. I gotta tell you. Fantastic. Uh, something, though, that she brought up in her article that I found fascinating. She very accurately compares John Bobbitt to Donald Trump after realizing how much those men have in common. Here is a little snippet for you. Yeah. Quote, tabloid covers, the Playboy Mansion. WWE, foreign-born wives, pornographic actresses, Howard Stern. It's the macho swagger coupled with the crybaby belief that the human race has wronged them, that it's a witch hunt or that they've been framed. No setting goals and reaching them through the steady application of effort. Instead, it's get-rich-quick schemes or, in Trump's case, stay-rich-quick schemes Forget cultivating a talent that the world might recognize you for. Instead, achieve instant celebrity for being nothing other than yourself. John and Trump are the gold standard for this new kind of fame that started out as a knockoff of real Hollywood fame and has since eclipsed the original. I mean, 
no matter how you feel about either of those men, you have to admit that Lily's right. A hundred percent. The belief that humanity has wronged them and that they're being framed for everything they've ever been accused of. I couldn't have described either men uh, better. But enough about John. What happened with Lorena after the trial? Under Virginia law, with a verdict of temporary insanity, Lorena was required to spend 45 days in a hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. After the five weeks, Lorena was found to be not a threat to herself or to others, so she was released from Central State Hospital on March 1st, 1994. She was ordered to undergo weekly outpatient treatment, but at this point, Lorena didn't have a job or money, so her options were limited. But she was persistent. Lorena said, quote, I could go back to Venezuela and my parents, but I want my parents to come here for a better life. I have nothing, but I still have my American dream. So Lorena got a job uh, as a manicurist at another salon. When asked why she didn't move away, Lorena said, quote, I live here. This is my home. Why should he have the last laugh? And what most people don't realize is that after the trial, John would repeatedly show up at the nail salon just to see Lorena. Which doesn't sound like the actions of a man who wanted Lorena out of his life. Also, did you know that for years John would send Lorena love notes and Valentine's cards? Lorena responded to him saying, quote, Look at me. I did this to you. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. And more than fair. Lorena officially became a U.S. citizen in the summer of 1994, and she invited her parents and her siblings to come live with her in America. She took a second job as an administrative assistant and later sold real estate to support her family. Lorena re-enrolled at Northern Virginia Community College, where she met David Bellinger. Lorena describes their relationship as a friendship that grew into love, and in 2005, the couple welcomed a daughter, Olivia. Lorena and David have been together now for over 20 years. That's nice. Yeah. She did not want to marry, but they have remained together, and she currently goes by her maiden name. In 2007, Lorena created the Lorena Gallo Foundation, which raises awareness of domestic violence and helps victims and their children. Lorena also volunteers at local shelters in Northern Virginia and speaks at various events and universities. She speaks with sororities, helping to educate young people about the red flags in dating an abuser and how to set boundaries. She shares her story with others in the hope she might be able to save a life. According to Lorena, quote, If I could help at least one person to escape domestic violence, then all my pain and suffering that I went through was not in vain. In 2009, John and Lorena appeared together for the first time in an interview with The Insider. Lorena told John, quote, You drove me crazy. You drove me insane. No woman should go through what I went through. Now, I would not be doing my due diligence if I didn't mention that Lorena also had some legal troubles since the trial ended. 
1997, Lorena was charged with assault after a neighbor testified that Lorena jumped on her mother, Elvia, while they were watching TV together and beat her mother's head with her fists. Elvia told the court that her facial injuries were caused by, quote, a pimple, a big one. But due to reasonable doubt, Lorena was acquitted. And I'm sorry, that is Lorena's mother. Lorena's mother. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm just making sure. Unlike John, Lorena wasn't invited on any sort of media tour. She did a few appearances in South America and did one photo shoot with Vanity Fair, which she regrets, as she said she only did it because her attorney and her friend Jana had pushed her to do it. Uh, the, the few interviews that came towards her, most she turned down. She also turned down $1 million to pose for Playboy. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, while John did everything possible to stay in the spotlight, Lorena went the other direction and chose to live a quiet, unassuming life. I also think it speaks volumes about their character. When John has spent the past 29 years desperately trying to make money for himself, while Lorena has spent her time trying to help others. And in a shocking move that absolutely none of us saw coming, in 2018, John sent Lorena a Facebook friend request. Stop it. Less shockingly, Lorena declined. Yeah. Yeah. And even though it's been almost 30 years, it will be 30 years next year, uh, the world is still wildly fascinated by Lorena. She was the subject of a 2020 Lifetime movie, I Was Lorena Bobbitt. She was satirized in National Lampoon's 1994 TV movie, Attack of the Five Foot Two Women. The double feature mocked Tanya Harding in a bit called Tanya, The Battle of Wounded Knee. And it mocked Lorena in He Never Gave Me Orgasm, the Lenora Babbitt story. Lorena was even referenced in the 2013 song Evil Twin by Eminem. I went looking for the uh, exact lyrics so that I could quote them, and they are a lot tamer than I had anticipated. Oh. Uh, for those curious, it's, quote, Lorena said I never can leave her. She'll sever my wiener. I ever deceive her. <laughs> that does feel pretty watered down for what we've for, heard for from Eminem, Eminem in the yeah, past. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and while looking for these lyrics, I came across a message board where someone asked why Eminem would bother to mention Lorena, to which someone responded, quote, she's just a funny person to reference. And I know the Internet can be a real hole sometimes, but sadly, this seems to be the main sentiment regarding the entire Bobbitt case. People look at the case and simply see a woman attacking a man in a very shocking way. Lorena said they always focused on it and it um, and it like they all they all missed or didn't care why I did it. And she's right. The media completely missed the bigger picture. Author Alison Yarrow put it best when she said, quote, the abuse of Lorena Bobbitt was ignored in favor of a narrative that celebrated male sexuality and shamed her for being a vengeful perpetrator instead of shining a light on domestic violence and abuse. And it's true. 
When people hear the name Bobbit, they think of the fact that it has now become a verb for removing a penis. What they don't think about are the photos shown in court or the witness statements, all documenting the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse that Lorena endured for years. They see Lorena as some sort of angry devil out for revenge, as opposed to a survivor who was pushed past her breaking point. Most remember Lorena's trial, but then forget that John went on trial first. John Bobbitt was seen as a victim before turning himself into a pathetic joke who long overstayed his welcome. But what they don't see are the years of abuse that John has allegedly inflicted on numerous women. And while John continues to deny the abuse allegations, remember, he has served jail time twice for violence against different women. But people either don't know about that or choose to ignore it and focus on Lorena as the punchline. She was a tabloid sensation and fodder for comedians. In one of his opening monologues, at the time, late night host Jay Leno said, quote, every guy in America sleeps on his stomach now. And a popular joke going around at the time was, how does Lorena feel after sex? She gets a little snippy. And I'd almost say that's clever. Uh, if the sex they're referring to wasn't rape. Yeah. But Lorena's case did help to shine a spotlight on domestic abuse. The Violence Against Women Act was signed into law in September 1994 by then-President Bill Clinton. The act creates and supports comprehensive, cost-effective responses to domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, and stalking. It was the first legislation acknowledging sexual assault and domestic violence as crimes, and it was written by then-Senator Joe Biden. Hey, there we go. Uh, it is up for renewal every five years and has since been altered to include survivors of all genders. The act was created thanks to the dialogue started by victims sharing their stories of domestic violence publicly. Those stories include Anita Hill, 1991, she her testimony that Supreme Court nominee and all-around shithead Clarence Thomas had sexually harassed her in the workplace. Uh -huh. It also included uh, Lorena Bobbitt's testimony and the shocking murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. But, to quote Phyllis D. Barkhurst of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, quote, It is deeply revealing that it has taken the mutilation of a man to attract attention to the abuse of women. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. Oh, what a poignant quote to end on. It's very, very true. Um, well, listen, uh, let's take one more quick break, grab one more drink, hit the can one more time, and we'll be right back for our final thoughts about Lorena Bobbitt on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're talking Lorena Bobbitt. So much here. You know, honestly, I really feel like it's such a touchstone. That name is just so... Anybody who I feel like was born after or before, I mean, I don't I don't even know. I'm not even going to begin to try and pick a number. But I just feel like anyone who's like around our generation or older, yeah. you know that name. Like it is just... Oh, yeah. There is no, uh, anyone on the street, I feel like, if you said Lorena Bobbitt, they'd be like, I know exactly who you're talking about. And yet, what I would argue is, I, I don't know anything about this one. I know nothing about the case. I knew nothing about this woman. It's just my perception of the broad strokes. So, yeah. um, I mean, I found this fascinating, this whole thing fascinating, getting the whole kind of, the whole lay of the land. And I'm going to start right at the beginning. Because here's the deal. Yeah. And I'm going to preface this by saying, which I which I alluded to before, I'm not defending what she did. And 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 look, I, do I think that she may have had a psychotic break? I 100% do. Um, so I I don't necessarily I'm also not saying that I don't think that the the sentence was correct or the conviction the oh my god charge I don't know look I'm losing my words. The point is um I just want to preface this by saying that I'm not saying that it's like, you know, I'm not encouraging anybody that is to to do violence in any way on anybody regardless. But the fact that he described her as shy, pretty, and didn't speak much English right away, I'm like, that's an abuser. Why are you going after that girl? Yeah. Because she is exactly what you're looking for. You're looking to control somebody. You're looking to have power. You're looking to be the big man. So you're going to go after yeah. someone who is younger. She was 19. I know he was 22, yeah. but still she was 19, new to the country, didn't know anyone. Yeah. So right there, what do we know about abusers? They like to isolate their victims. She's already isolated. She doesn't have any family Pretty or cool. friends in the country. Also, the fact that she didn't speak the language well. That means that she's going to be even easier to control because she needs to rely on him, potentially, to communicate, to to do things, all of the above. Um, yeah. I just think he chose her for a reason. And oh, that's yeah. not me suggesting that she was weak or any, anything. And, and, and by the way, no of victims of domestic violence are any of those things. I'm just saying he fits such a profile in such an exact way. Yep. In so many ways that I just see why he was, he was attracted. You know what I'm saying? That it was like, oh, this makes oh, sense. Yeah. He saw someone that he thought he could, again, control, have power over, all of the above. The fact that the honeymoon phase didn't last long. Again, this is textbook into abuse cycles, right? You meet, he probably yeah. love bombed her at the beginning, got her right sure. kind of into it. The timing worked out. She, her visa was running out. They decide to get married, regardless of where the truth is there, though I tend to believe her side of the story on that. Um, then he starts drinking heavily. Then then, is, then the abuse starts. The physical abuse starts. 
uh, again, it's just a, it's a, it's a classic abuse cycle. It's a classic, all of this just felt very textbook to me in terms of, of the abuse with him. I mean, and then it escalates trying to run her over with his car, um, saying he doesn't remember things, saying he didn't remember the meeting, the meeting with a social worker. This is where it starts to go. Okay. So what, what are we dealing with, with him here? And again, like I had alluded to in the episode, I was going back and forth. Like, I don't think he's, I think he has narcissistic tendencies. Do I think he's just a narcissist? No. I think that there's bigger things going on here. I think that this is somebody who's saying, oh, I don't remember that. You met with a social worker to have a meeting because you tried to run over your wife, I'm assuming, in public. Um, And you don't remember any of it. You don't remember the incident. You don't remember the meeting. Okay, now to me, I feel like we're getting into he's living in a different reality. He's now I feel like we're getting into a dissociative disorder because and at this point, it could still be, is he just saying he doesn't remember when he actually does? Totally. But as we continue, I'll talk about the reasons why this stuck out to me, because more and more I'm just like, this guy was operating in in two different dimensions, in my opinion. Um, Yeah. It's also interesting to me. He was discharged from the Marines. Like, was that by choice? Like, was it a dishonorable discharge? Like, I do feel like you try to run over your wife in public. That's not great. I don't know that the, that is a great the military I don't loves know, that. Uh, how he specifically... I don't know if he was the one who was like, yeah, that should happen or... Yeah. But the, it would happen the same year. I think that he, if it so. was his decision, it could have been... He could have been encouraged to make that decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um... Right away, her behavior is also fascinating to me. And I will be honest, I do feel starts to build a case that she could be building to a psychotic break. The fact that he is discharged from her his job and now she needs to become the sole provider. We know that around that time she started embezzling from work, but her boss made her pay it back rather than going to the authorities. And that is a huge detail to me, too. Because this says to me that this boss believed in Lorena and perhaps yep. saw a level of desperation in her that she was like, look, you're going through a lot right now. I understand. You you got to pay me back. You can't be doing this kind of thing, but I'm not going to fire you. Like that to me is a, another indicator, right? Um, yeah. The shoplifting dresses so that he wouldn't cheat on her. Now we're getting, again, to me, now I'm seeing a profile for what's going on for her mentally, which, by the way, if you're living in fear and this man is your connection to to everything, she says she kept saying she was Catholic, she doesn't believe in divorce, but then also she doesn't have a friend and family group, she is isolated, she is still new to the country, she's new to the language, all of these kinds of things, I could see it becoming extremely overwhelming mentally to be living in that level of psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and then also having the burden of trying to provide and keep the house afloat, keep the, keep money coming in, all of these things. And then also her feeling like, well, I also can't let him cheat on. Like I can see again, I can see the profile that, that again, it's to me, I'm like, this is absolutely possible that it's leading to a, a psychotic break. Legit. Um, yeah. The behavior is also interesting. The house gets foreclosed on. They separate. And then they have a year apart, which is interesting to me. 
but then they get back together. I'm curious how much yeah. contact they had in that year. I bet you they were in contact during that year. Oh, I'm sure of it. Um, the restraining order is also such a sad detail in this that she tried and she didn't have time to wait. And I feel like that's another one of those examples where it's like if someone's come, if a woman's coming in and going, I only have a few minutes because perhaps they are trying to leave an exceptionally dangerous situation. I don't know that yeah. we need to be putting them in a position where it's like, well, you got to wait an hour or got to wait three hours or like yeah. there's got to be a better way with that, too, because that could have also that that could have been the thing that could have avoided all of this. If she had been given that restraining 100%. order in a timely manner when she went in that day saying, I fear for my safety, et cetera, and it kept him away from the house that day, all of this potentially could have been avoided. Um, yes. So, I mean, so many things. I understand that he had a friend in from out of town, so maybe that's why he wanted to get back home. But it's a really questionable choice to me. And I don't think that I necessarily buy that that day, earlier in the day, he was like, I'm leaving you forever. I'm going out all night and I'm going to come back home tonight with my friend. Like, to me, it's like, if you're leaving forever, you're going to go find somewhere else to sleep that night. You're going to get a hotel. And if you've got a buddy, then you can split the cost. Like, you yep. know what I mean? Like, I, you find another buddy's friend's house to stay in. You guys, I don't know. Like, there's just something that doesn't add up to me that it's like, also, if you have a friend in town, human nature typically isn't like, today's the day, the day that we have an out-of-town guest, house guest who's going to be staying with us, today's yeah. the day I'm going to break up with her and then still hang out. Doesn't add up. I don't buy that. Yeah. Because also, what was the plan then? You You're wake right. up in the morning and what? She leaves? And again, the it's whole like, well, I'm place you got together. So right. And the suggestion that it's like, well, I wanted to have sex with her one last time. Well, did you have sex with her or not? Because on one hand, you're saying you didn't. And then on the other hand, you are. Again, yep. all the credibility to me for him is lost. He's changed his story many times. It sounds like she yep. has not changed her story. This is not me again defending her action, but it's just me trying to come to the truth, which feels like her version of events sounds like it's based in more truth. The fact that his yeah. timeline is all off. Her timeline adds up with what the surgeon is saying and, and all of the above yeah. with the ERs that his doesn't. So again, it's like um, the fact that she's like, I had trouble driving because I realized that thing was in my hand. I'm like, this, it does sound like this could be someone who literally did have a psychotic break, who in this moment, in that moment, after again, enduring this for so long, et cetera, and that it had been amping up those days. I, I mean, again, yeah. not that I'm saying I don't, I didn't believe her. I'm just talking in terms of like, when people go to court, they can try different defenses that who knows if they're true or false, et cetera. And to me, I'm like, I, I do kind of think that this is adding up for me. And the other psychologist who testified for the for the prosecution in her trial, sure, yeah, we all do we all are we all do have decisions. That's true. But the psychologist that testified for the defense, also true that if you're living under that level of constant abuse and you have no support system and you reached out for help and you failed, the yeah. brain does crazy things. This is what we know doing this oh, show. We've yeah. done this show long enough to know. Our brains crack and do things to try and protect us in ways that Again, no one would see coming. Um, the hot dog box detail will never not be wild to me. It's just yep. unbelievable. 
Also, did his lawyer need to say from Bangkok to Berlin? Like, really, sir? Just choose any other city. Any other city. Um, Great call. Thank you very much. Great call. Uh, and the, yeah, I was sad she had to go all through go through all that. She was my wife. Two realities. He was living in two realities. I'll talk about that more in a second. Let me just get through the rest of this. The jury in his trial, the fact that he got his trial first, too, is bullshit. And because they couldn't bring, like like what you, you talked about later, you couldn't bring in all of this testimony prior, right? Anything that was considered yeah. prejudi- prejudicial, which is also dumb. If, if he has a friend that's saying, oh, no, he had a thing that his main way of getting off or one of the things he really liked about getting off was sexually assaulting women or or going yeah. through the acts of what it would be like to sexually assault a woman that is relevant in my opinion to that case yes. and oh, if, yeah. if her case had gone first he could have gotten convicted in his trial and i know some would then say well is that fair or not well what makes it fair to me is that he went on to continue the behavior again and again so yeah. Again, justice is not served to me, in my opinion, because if her trial had gone first and that information had come out about him when it was time for his trial, he could have been found guilty. Maybe he could have done some jail time and maybe some of those other women that had gotten hurt at his hands could have been saved. Yes. That's, that's not spec. I'm not going to say that. that's not a speculation. That's just the truth. Um, because, again, the, the, the jury member in his trial saying, well, there was no screaming. There was no bruising. Again, there's a million reasons. She, again, like she said, there was a house guest. That's why she didn't scream. The bruising thing. I, I mean, look, it's, it's, these are, I understand. I understand. But again, to me, it was just, there wasn't enough for that trial and it should have gone second, period. Yes. Um, I mean, so many things. It's really interesting too, talking about like what a time that was in true crime. I think you're so right. I think that was when like things kind of like the 24 hour news cycle and, and, uh, you know, the, the the constant coverage of these giant cases, I feel like it really did kind of change the game forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, the temporary impulse. Yes, I, I just, I do feel more and more like I, I buy it. I do buy it that her brain could have done that to her. And again, I'll skip ahead for a second. Attacking her mother, I'm not defending at all either. The only thing I would offer is because she hasn't, as far as we know, because she hasn't had a continued pattern of repeat abuse. I hope. I hope. Um, Let's go forward saying that that was an isolated incident. The fact that it was happening in the TV room, and we know that the first time he anally raped her, it was because she had, they were watching TV, because she said the TV was too loud. The only thing I would offer from a psychological perspective, because you know that's what I like to bring to this show. Of course. Because it was also 1997, it wasn't that long after this had all happened. One could could say, we weren't there, we don't know. There could have been something that was said that then triggered. And if if this woman, if if Lorena legitimately had had a legitimate psychotic break, which caused the original incident... She could have been suffering from PTSD. She could have been suffering from different things. We don't know what level to which um, of therapy she was in at that time. I could see her having some sort of hallucination, flashback, whatever, and that she had this, sure. whatever. Again, I'm not defending her behavior. I'm just offering that again because we did not then see a, a significant string of arrests 
as we did with John, I'm just offering that it could be possible that there was some of that involved and that that's why her mother tried to cover for her. That it was this like another kind of psychotic yeah. break moment. We don't know. We don't know. Um, again, never defend, never defending violence, just trying to figure out the why. Um, Ron Jeremy talking about that that one porn film was so successful that it was selling 1,100 copies a month. And I was like, that seems low to me. Doesn't that seem like a low number? It does. I don't know. I don't know that world. I don't know what, what's big in that world. But, you know, who knows? Um, the fact that he had a another child where there could have been crossover again. Um, you were saying at one point, maybe this is an anger management problem. And then I just wrote down, uh, this sounds like a sadism problem. And then it was later that you brought up about his friend testifying. And I was like, there it is. Um, because again, it isn't, I, I think that there is an anger management absolutely is a part of this, but I think there is also an enjoyment of women's pain, which it sounds like, oh yeah, there was there as also, um, yeah, it's just so sad to me that there was so many people that were affected by him. Uh, I wrote down delusional uh, when he said, never used violence pretty much ever. We'd still be together and have a family. And then you said delusional. And that's when I was like, oh, I have my diagnosis. And I do believe, this is my own speculation, that this is a disassociative disorder. He has created this idealized version of who he thinks he is in his own mind and sure. he'll do these other behaviors, acting out um, things that he witnessed in childhood, potentially, maybe, maybe not, who knows. Um, but he will disconnect from them and just move forward with the belief that he's a Marine, he's a good man, he doesn't believe in violence. That's who he is. Sure. He doesn't connect to this other part of him, right? Um, okay. You know... The only thing that doesn't add up there is the fact that he did tell his friend that he liked abusing women uh, sexually. But who knows? Maybe there's some crossover there. Um, but that I really do think that there could have been a dissociative part of this. And then that would add up that he did experience violence in childhood. And that, again, it can happen when children go through extreme violence in childhood, their brains crack. And they when they're experiencing the violence, they go to another place. So their brain... So that it's not, they're not connecting to what is actually happening in that moment. And I'm curious if that's what it is for him. When he's abusing women, is he not connecting to what's happening in that moment? So then after the fact, he's saying, I never did that. I don't know what you're talking about. Which to the rest of us goes like, this guy's crazy or a liar or whatever. And in reality, right. it's that his brain, again, operates. There's two different, two different realities. Again, speculating, but I find it fascinating. Um... Because, again, him showing up at her workplace, him sending her cards for years, him saying years later he wants to get remarried to her. It's like, you're all over the place, dude. Like, you need the, you need therapy desperately. Oh and God, and I would also suggest maybe some medication because it feels like there's a lot going on in that brain, maybe even imbalance. I don't know. But, again, all speculations, but it feels wild to me that he hasn't killed somebody yet. It's shocking. I mean, just given this oh, pattern of behavior, this pattern of violence. If you uh, hanging hanging a woman over a balcony, oh, he's yeah. lucky. He's lucky. Oh, yeah. That he hasn't killed somebody yet. Um, especially if he does have a legitimate dissociative disorder, where you can, you know, your behavior can get out of control. Um, 
And there's different kinds, by the way, and I'm not suggesting that everybody with those disorders is violent. Absolutely not. I'm just suggesting that that may be what's going on with him. Um, Him him requesting her on Facebook in 2018 is classic. Uh, Yeah, you know, I think I think you I mean, you really summed it up well at the end there. The fact that the narrative about this whole thing was about her removing his penis, that she kind of became a punchline. But when you really kind of side by side show what has happened since then in both of their lives, and she's not perfect either. Again, we know this. She's had behaviors as well. Um, It just really feels like if we go back, like there's no question that it seems that he was lying about his behavior with Lorena. And it feels like it's very obvious that she was telling the truth. Um, in terms yep. of his abuse towards her. And and you know what? How sad. How sad that this was her existence. How sad um, that that incident happened. Um, because how sad also, like, that it gave this man this odd platform for so long. And, and, and it's interesting psychologically, too. This is the last thing I'll say. I do think it's very interesting psychologically that he became so willing to show people his penis. And I'm saying this earnestly. I'm like, so you felt then that your value was this story about you or this fame about you or whatever. And you didn't connect to the fact that some would feel that that is degrading or shameful or what have you. And I'm not saying people should be feel shame about their bodies. Listen, I, I'll run around nude till the end of time. But it's just interesting to me, and it it really does to me feed into these theories that I'm talking about because it's like to him, it was like, oh, well, I'm famous for that, so this is what I do then. He doesn't connect to the other side of it, that it's like, but maybe you might want to try and do something else with your life instead of offering anybody who's seemingly interested to see your dick. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's again, like it feels like there's just a disconnect there, which could again connect to someone who had experienced sexual trauma as a child too, where they're not connected to the fact that it's like, you don't have to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's like, like you yeah. don't, that your, your value is, is not just tied to that, even though you became famous from that. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to show it. You know what I mean? It's it's just yeah. it's fascinating to me the whole psychology of of John Bobbitt. It's wild. Oh, I'll I'll never understand that man. Um, to your point, uh, I will say because I fully agree. Uh, no, no, no one deserves having a part of their body cut off. No. Uh, on the other hand, I will also say. Lorena didn't deserve any of the things that she went through either. No. Um, But I just, I'm fascinated by that man because, I mean, it's just, I'm also fascinated by the judges that he keeps getting put forward, put in front of who are just like, you know what? You need to take a class. And it's like, but after the amount of times he's done this, and it's the same things. Yeah. Over and over again, it's the same behaviors with different women. So it's like, or maybe he needs a, a harder treatment program 
Well, again, again that. like he needs there's something. Yes, they're lucky that he hasn't that one of these stories hasn't ended up in somebody's death. Honestly, like it's yeah. It's I wouldn't be surprised if he purposely tried to kill someone to keep his name out there. Because to quote that other guy, he still thinks it's 1993 and people give a shit about him. Yeah. Like if I was ever somewhere if I'm like at a bar and I see someone and we're we're introduced and he's like, oh, I'm John Bobbitt. I'm going to go, okay, great. Yeah. I'm not going to go, oh my God, can I see it? Like I'm not, nope, not interested. Yeah. And also, no. Like there's just, yeah. I hate how much. Uh, going into this that I was like, oh, well, she cut off his dick and that was all I knew. And I hate that um, in my image searches, the one that was the nicer image searches, not not the other one. Um, I came across uh, without meaning to couples who dressed as them for Halloween. So it was the man wearing an outfit with you know, fake blood on his crotch and a woman carrying a baggie with something in it and a knife and they're having a grand old time. And it's like, if you just knew or if they did know and didn't care, I don't know. But it's like just the stuff that she went through and the idea that this was like a very serious, like mental break. It's like, how about, I don't know. This is just off the top of my head. Maybe compassion Maybe, or, you know, don't focus on just, you know, the man who even his friends were like, yeah, he was violent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like a hundred percent. And I, I agree. And I, I also, I also feel like too, to me, the place where it, where it breaks down is that she couldn't get that restraining order quicker. Because again, oh, if, if you are a woman who is anybody, but in this case, a woman who is fleeing an abuser. And we know that the abuse had been ramping up at that time. That's what other witnesses had said, that they had witnessed her yeah. at work and she seemed terrified and all trembling and all of the above. I just wish that there had been more resources given to her. And to be honest with you, and, and I know we've already mentioned the case once, I said the same thing about the Gabby Petito case. We did a Patreon episode about it. I said the same thing about how I feel like those police spoke to them that night and separated them that night. And I yeah. I am just very deftly curious what was offered to Gabby in, in that conversation. What resources were offered to her that night? That's And look, I'm not saying that she would have taken them, but again, something in these acute moments from law enforcement – you know what I mean? Again, I I really, I mean, listen, and who knows? It could have taken a complete other turn if she had gotten the restraining order. He could have shown up with a gun and shot her. We don't know, right? Like, he could have gotten mad about it and violated yeah. the order. A million things could have happened. Of course, we can't begin to speculate. But I do feel like this incident, if she had gotten that restraining order, I feel like this chain of events would not have happened. Yeah. So, again, yeah. to me, it's like, that's where those breakdowns happen. And I do think it is a brilliant point to point out that uh, that a, a Violence Against Women Act 
was really taken seriously after a man got his dick cut off. It's so interesting, isn't it? And also, by the way, Nicole Brown Simpson, that case, too, that's really interesting, too, because a man was killed in that case as well. And we know, and if you don't know, listen to our episode, what a string of violence there was between OJ and uh, against Nicole leading up to that. You know, like, again, when there's men involved, it's interesting that then it's it's it's, it was looked at more seriously when there was a male victim murdered as well in that case. Um, when a man's dick was cut off in this case and the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas thing, I can't even begin to get into because then it's going to open a whole other can of worms about SCOTUS, which we don't have the time for. Uh, and I don't have the anger reserves at the moment. Um, sure. But listen, Christy Oxborough, this was fabulous. So informative. Again, I knew nothing about this and I think you did a wonderful job, um, at what was a gruesome case, uh, in some ways, uh, and, and, uh, you know, really, uh, gave us all, all the facts. I I have never said penis as many times as I have now. I feel, I, you know, it got to the point where I, I started to get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's because that's you're not envisioning what I am. And for that, I will be forever <laughs> sorry. Uh, and thank nope. you, dear listeners, for coming with us on this journey. If you'd like to uh, give us a follow on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like a little bit more, go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails, where we have bonus content. There's four bonus episodes over a, mo- over a month. Every month over there, there's a poll where you can vote to choose one of the episodes we cover on this feed of the show. Uh, there's a monthly live Q&A. We have a hoot and a half, so check that out if you would like to subscribe. And the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is truecrewmerch.com. You're going to want to go over there. There's season four merch with the adorable art uh, that we had done, as well as Burton Larry merch. And if you don't know what Burton Larry is, <laughs> Burton Larry Bird, go to our uh, True Crime and Cocktails Instagram and watch our videos. Uh, Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? Oh. On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Missing Kentucky. That's right, dear listeners. It is the first of our new Missing series on the show. Christy is curating these episodes, and we are jazzed. Cannot wait to share those with you, starting in Kentucky. And we're going to get into it. Uh, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, animated Buzz Lightyear. Good night, Jennifer Affleck. <laughs>